Now, it's CSL, Charlotte Sports Live. Right now on Charlotte Sports Live, it appears like a line has been drawn in the sand between the Panthers and their star edge rusher, Brian Burns, just days ahead of the franchise tag deadline. And luck was a lady to Kyle Larson in Vegas today. A dominant performance for the number five, and it's all coming up right now on Charlotte Sports Live. We're racing our way into Charlotte Sports Live tonight. She's Grace Grill. I'm Gabe McDonald. Appreciate you joining us for this hour-long edition on Sunday night. And Grace, it was an action-packed day for sure. Yeah, it's the final weekend of the regular season in women's college hoops as teams jockey for top tournament seedings. Plus, the Hornets north of the border in Toronto going toe-to-toe -to -toe with the Raptors. But we've got some news tonight about uh, Brian Burns. Yeah, absolutely, because there's some big news coming up before that franchise tag deadline at CBS Sports Senior Insider. Christina Anderson reports tonight that the Panthers informed Brian Burns during the combine this past week that they aren't continuing contract talks at this time. Now, Burns' future in Carolina has been a hot topic of conversation since before last season even started. Now, talks of a new long-term deal are being put on ice. It doesn't mean Agent Zero won't be repping the black and blue next season. Chances are high that Carolina uses their one franchise tag on him, which is valued at $24 million for linebackers. And they could also tag him and trade him to another team. Burns shared his thoughts on the situation with us during the team's end-of-season interviews in January. It's a business, you know, it can go any which way, so I just got to be ready and do what I can do, you know, um, control what I can control and be ready for whatever happens. I just know they got a lot of stuff to do. They got a lot of stuff to figure out. I, I don't think I'm number one on that list right now, so, yeah. So Burns keeping it really all the way 100 right there. Of course, we know the Panthers had a laundry list of things to do this offseason. You want to be able to prioritize him, but at the same time, this is one of those situations where I think it might be best if both sides maybe put things on hold. But I honestly think deep down, I just believe that he wants a bit of a fresh start. And I think this could be the beginning of the end of his time in Carolina. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. To me, the Panthers, that sounds like, hey, this is a tag and trade type situation. Yeah. I wasn't quite, I know you were very high on that of just like, hey, mm -hmm. it sounds like maybe they would more more trade him after the tag. Right. But they do. I mean, he even said it there. They have a ton of stuff to get done. And with bringing in a, again, new coaching staff, new GM, and now you have Brant Tillis in there as well. Like, I, I made this point before. Like, Brant comes in with a fresh mind. He's worked through these situations before, and he's got no emotional attachment to these right. guys. He came in with the job of, like, hey, we need to try to keep this defense as cohesive as possible because that was our most impressive unit. And it's not that they don't – I don't think they don't value Burns. How could right. you not value him? But when you've got a roster to work with, it'll be, it'll be interesting because now with that – with more cap space available, you wonder what's – going to happen, yeah. but it sounds like they just couldn't agree on worth. And you mentioned the lack of emotional attachment, too. That's something even Dave Canales brought up. He's like, hey, I'm coming in, and that's one of my advantages. I don't really have that, you know, relationship with these guys just yet. It's, you know, a point where you can build the roster in other ways. If you build around him, if you decide to build through the draft. So they'll, still time will tell, but we'll see. I think, obviously, Tuesday is going to be a very interesting day with that deadline coming up at 4 p.m. I think likely a tag will be done, and then we'll just kind of see what happens from there. But I know he wants $30 million. Don't know if he's worth just that, though. Well, it'll be interesting for sure, and we'll have it all for you here on Charlotte Sports Live. But we got to talk some basketball. The Hornets north of the border tonight in Toronto. Brandon Miller back in the lineup after missing Friday's game. They needed offense, and <laughs> are you kidding me with that shot? That's just crazy. Clock winding down, buries it. We go to the third quarter. Got some good ball movement here. Trey Mann draws in the defense. Brandon Miller wide open this time, and he can make it cover. He can make it Fourth quarter, Hornets down two over a minute left. Davies, Bertans 
knocks down the go-ahead three. So Hornets now up by one, but Charlotte would not be able to keep that lead. This was a one-possession game in the final seconds, and I mean, Boy. Gary Trent Jr. just steals it right out of his hands and takes it the other way. Raptors win 111-106. Charlotte has now lost five out of his last six games. And we're looking at the final numbers in this one. Five Hornets in double figures. Brandon Miller leading the way with 26 points and 10 rebounds. Miles Bridges had 20. Grant Williams with 18 and 13. Charlotte returns home Tuesday to face the Orlando Magic. Orlando Magic. Boogity, boogity, boogity. Moving to NASCAR, the Cup Series, heading out west to Vegas this weekend. Last Sunday's race in Atlanta, certainly a tough act to follow. Joey Logano leading the field to green this afternoon. His second time doing so this season. Kyle Larson right beside him to start things off. This 27 laps in, some early trouble for Chris Buescher in the 17. Loses his front right tire and slams into the wall coming around turn two. This would actually bring out the red flag as they had to make repairs to that wall out there. Buescher's day would be done after that. Back under green towards the end of stage one. These two right here had quite the battle all day long. Kyle Larson able to hold off Tyler Reddick in the 45 to take stage one. Larson's first stage win of the young season. These two were also 1-2 at the end of the second stage. To the third stage, you don't want to see this. Larson's still in front, but Corey LaJoy in the seven spinning out after puncturing his right rear tire going into turn two. LaJoy with a solid run up to this point. However, that would damper his day. Caution comes out with just over 30 laps to go. Back under green on the restart, another battle. This time it's Ross Chastain and Larson going for the lead. Larson deciding to go low and take the inside to get back in front. They got a pack of Toyotas following them in Denny, Tyler Reddick, and Martin Shrek Jr. And speaking of Reddick, here he is once again trying to close in on Larson and take the lead, but he's unable to get around and make a move to get in front. Simply put, Kyle Larson dominant today in Vegas. He takes the Pennzoil 400 to get his first win of the season and his third career win in Sin City. I knew Tyler was going to be the guy to beat um, from the first stage. You know, he was he was really fast there, and I was hoping those guys were going to get racing a little bit longer behind me because I felt like it was going to time out to where you know he was running really hard and getting the toe to, to catch me at the end. Such a great, great job by this Hendrickars uh, Chevy team and um, just their execution, pit road, restarts, all that uh, was great. So cool to get a win here at Vegas again. I always love to see that moment with the kiddos. But Kyle Larson, I mean, just out there, one of the just pound-for-pound pound best racers in the sport. This is now the fifth time that he swept all three stages in a race. Did it last October in Las Vegas. So pretty a lucky day for him. Obviously a special track for him, but a really dominant win for what he was able to do today. Just good to see him get in the victory lane. Hendrick, off to a good start. He had William Byron week one. And now you got uh, you got Kyle Larson getting it done this week. I mean, 181 laps is absolutely dominant. And it was fun watching those two with Tyler Reddick, yeah. too, because, like, Tyler Reddick has such a fast car, which yeah. just shows how great Kyle Larson ran today. And you mentioned Hendrick. Great showing from them, but also from Chevy's. I mean, they've kind of first three se th first three races of the season, yeah. and it's been Chevy's at the end of it. Now, I know Ford and Toyota have that, have that new car, so yeah. they got to figure some things out. And the season is very early, but that's definitely an early story to watch as yeah. well. And that's one of the interesting things we talked about coming into the season. It's like you have these two manufacturers with these new cars. Are they in an advantage or a Chevy in an advantage? So far, like you alluded to, three straight Chevys have won. But those Toyotas are looking really good today. Denny up there in the front. Obviously, a guy like Ty Gibbs, even Martin Truex. Junior, but Tyler Reddick in that nasty B Chevy might be the power of the nasty beast. He had a good run today, but I think eventually he'll break through with the win. Phoenix going to be real interesting coming up next. Well, week. you had you had one of the Hendricks reps say after the after the after the race say yeah. like, hey, like we know Ford and Toyota is going to figure it out. So that's why we're running super tight right now because yeah. this is where we can take advantage because we are more comfortable with our own car. Yeah. All right, we're well, moving on to Charlotte FC. Just two matches into the 2024 season, and it already looks like they are bringing in more help from abroad. We'll have that report next.
And while the focus was on the prospects at last week's NFL Combine, there was a lot of talk about Bryce Young as well. Just ahead, why many in the national media say it's too early to write off the Panthers' top pick. That's coming up next here on Charlotte Sports Live. Back here on CSL, Charlotte FC adding to its young roster just two matches into the season. Tom Bogart of The Athletic reports that the Crown are finalizing a deal to bring in as really, as really, Israeli winger Leo from Celtic. The 22-year-old had 10 goals and 5 assists for the Scottish club last season, but is apparently falling out of favor this year for Charlotte FC. And he'll be a welcome addition to a squad that has already had some trouble putting the ball in the back of the net, Grace. Yeah, Charlotte, two goals in its first two matches, but the inconsistency on that side of the ball has been a point of emphasis for new head coach Dean Smith. So Charlotte dominated the first half last night against Vancouver, and Yuri Tavares scored his first MLS goal to give Charlotte a 1-0 lead in the 31st minute of the match. That lead would be conceded in extra time in the first half, however, and the match would end in a 1-1 draw. Dean Smith not exactly pleased after the game, saying that he thought the match was winnable for his club if they didn't lose quality of play in the second half and just made better decisions with the ball. No, I'm a bit disappointed to be honest because I felt that we should have won the game in the first half. Um, I thought we could have taken the game away from, from Vancouver. I thought we were good for probably 35 minutes of that first half. Yeah, disappointed with the goal we conceded. Yeah, we didn't trap the runner. Charlotte FC stays on the road for the next two weeks. They're in Toronto next Saturday and then in Nashville the week after that. Will Bryce Young be a future franchise quarterback in the NFL? Well, it depends on who you ask. Michael Sett talked to members of the national media during the scouting combine to get their take on that question. Here's the story. With all due respect to Republicans and Democrats, there's an even greater divide happening in our country right now. It's those in the media who love Panthers quarterback Bryce Young and those working in the same field who don't. And chances are, if you live outside the Queen City, it's likely you have a different opinion than those that live within city limits. I am still very bullish on Bryce Young. I still think he can be the guy. NFL Network's Andrew Siciliano isn't alone. Anytime I turned on a national sports channel over the last year, it always seemed like there was someone singing Young's praises. Here in Indianapolis at the Combine, it was more or less the same. It's a simple reality. There isn't enough of a sample size to make any sweeping conclusions about Bryce Young. That then begs the question, have media members in Charlotte jumped the gun, the team's former number one pick? Are we simply too close to the action to see the bigger picture? Despite Carolina's league worst 2-15 and 15 record last season, Siciliano seems to think so. First of all, there was a lot to love coming out of college, right? It, it was not as if the Carolina Panthers were the only team that decided he was the best quarterback in the draft. In the eyes of football night in America's Mike Florio, it's a question of when, not if, Young turns the corner. And here's the most important thing he says to remember. Despite all the changes Carolina made in the offseason, David Tepper remains in charge. The guy who wanted him last year is still there, and he owns the team. Which is why Florio believes Young will remain QB1 for the foreseeable future. Time is on his side. And more importantly for the former Heisman Trophy winner, so is the guy that signs his checks. All right, thank you, Mike Lissette. Well, now it's time for Quick Six. We've got Andrew Brightman back here back. in the hot seat. We love having you on here. We've got love Gabe as well, so can we get two minutes on the clock, please? Gabe, we're starting with you. Will Brian Burns be in a Panthers uniform next season? I do not think so. I think we're seeing the beginning of the end. I think both sides want a fresh start. I think, more importantly, he wants a bit of a fresh start. I think this is likely the end of Brian Burns' time here in Carolina. Sometimes you just, you just need a fresh start. Yeah. All right, Andrew, so there's a new onside kick rule that could be up for a vote at the NFL League meetings. 
this year, which would allow teams to attempt an onside kick only when trailing in the fourth quarter, and then they would have to declare that they were attempting it in advance. Do you think it's a good rule? I'll start by saying overall, I think it's a very dumb idea because already it's really difficult to recover onside kicks. The one caveat I'll say is if maybe if they let them overload one side of the line when they do that, it might make it more interesting. But other than that, it doesn't make any sense. It's solution in a, pro a solution in search of a problem, really. Yeah, maybe they just need something to vote on. Yeah. Right, Gabe, how would you grade Charlotte FC for the first two matches? I'd probably give them a B plus because it seems like in the second half of these matches, they've kind of taken their foot off the gas a little bit. But no losses in the first two. Got to win, got to draw. I think Dean Smith and what he's been able to do, they look pretty solid so far. But i give them about a B plus through these first two. Still early, still early. All right, Andrew, well, we saw our Mike Lissette run the 40. How fast do you think you could run the 40-yard dash? What's the uh, combine record? No, in all seriousness, I think I could break five seconds. 4.99 is what I think I could do. That, let me stretch it out. I really think I could break five seconds. You said what? I break five seconds. <laughs> I don't care what anybody says. I know the fastest one, but Sam Hartman had the best one with his hair flown in the wind. <laughs> it was great. All right, Gabe, Johnny Menzel recently said on X that he's not attending the Heisman ceremony until the NCAA gives Reggie Bush back his Heisman. Do you agree with Menzel? Should the NCAA give it back? Absolutely, because everything he did back then, I know it was 20 years ago, it's all legal now. So I think, Obviously, you know, what but he did, and you got to think about it. Every, it wasn't legal then, but you got to think about it. Everybody was doing it. Johnny Manziel went on Shannon Sharp's podcast. Everybody was doing it, then everybody has been doing it under the table. It's just legal now. They should give it back. I want to see both of them in New York, hopefully, by the end of this year. All right, Andrew, outside of the Super Bowl, what should be a sports-related national holiday? But it's I want to date myself and say Masters Sunday, but I'm going to be honest and be like, not as many people watch that. I'm going to say the first two days the of Masters? the end. Uh, yeah, the Masters, the NCAA tournament, though, the first two days of the tournament, everybody's watching it, everyone loves to hang out. It just makes the most amount of sense to me. The, f the first round, just give everyone the, the two days off. I agree. That's like the only good thing about having Wednesdays off is that I can just sit there and watch basketball yeah. all day. <laughs> all right. Well, Charlotte women's basketball back in action in Boca today, their final road game of the regular season. We'll tell you how they fared against FAU next. And a York County golfer is getting more than long yards out of his swing. How his game is helping to shape his future. Coming up next on CS. Back here on Charlotte Sports Live, Charlotte women's basketball back in action today after a week off. Niners were in Boca facing FAU, and this was just a tough one for the Niners. They were held to 47 points, which is their lowest since losing to NC State to open up the season. Turnovers were a problem for, for each team. They both sides committing 17, except the Owls converted them for 19 points, while Charlotte just 12. FAU also got 29 points from their bench as well. Deja Lawrence led the Niners with 15 points. Tracy Houston with 13, but just not enough offense today as Charlotte falls 56-47 to FAU. Niners currently in a four-way tie for the fourth seed in the upcoming AAC tournament. They've got uh, two more, or one more. They'll close out the regular season against East Carolina. All right, down in Columbia, the regular season finale for the top-ranked Gamecocks. They host Tennessee. Second quarter, Gamecocks up one. Camila Cardoso getting the pass inside and finishing through the contact. South Carolina up four after that free throw. Cordoso with a solid Would have been day. running laps after that skip pass. <laughs> yeah, later in the second, <laughs> Volunteers down seven. Kaya uh, Wynn finds a cutting. Rakia Jackson, who gets a tough shot to fall, gets the foul as well. Tennessee down four. It'd be an eight-point Carolina lead at the break. Fourth quarter, Volunteers still fighting down five. Jackson pulling up and nailing the mid-range jumper. She had a game-high 29 points. Tennessee only down three, but then later in the fourth, Gamecocks up five. Malaysia full Wiley drives and feeds it to Cordoso, who lays it in Cordoso. I mentioned the big game she had earlier, 18 points and 14 rebounds. South Carolina, they get it done 76-68. The Gamecocks cap off their second straight undefeated regular season. How about this?
All right, let's go down the tobacco road. Duke at UNC. We are in the third quarter. Tar Heels down one. They need a bucket. And who else? Alyssa Uspi. She had 17 points and six rebounds today for the Tar Heels. But here's Duke's Ashlyn Jackson. Throws one up from the corner. That's three of Jackson's team high 17 for Duke. She ties this game up at 41. Deja Kelly. She led all scores with 18. How about this one? Contested from the elbow and one. North Carolina starting to gain some space. It's a seven-point game. Well, the Charlotte native Reagan Richardson, not her best. Those were only two points today, but she kept things close, but it was not close enough. Hard Heels take it 63-59 over Duke. Finishing up in Raleigh, 12th ring NC State hosting Wake Forest in the season finale. After trailing big early, Wake makes it a game. Madison Jordan burying the three from the wing. Deeks down for just one under after three quarters. Early in the fourth, Wake would jump out in front off the offensive board. This time, it's Reagan Conley showing off the range from the other side of the court. She puts up that three and puts it in. That's the Deeks' first lead since 2-0 in the first quarter. But the pack would shake back late in the fourth. Not a good decision to leave Saniya Rivers left wide open in the corner. She drains that three. Rivers with a game-high 23 points. NC State, they're going to cruise and hold on for the dub to close out the regular season. 75-57 for Wake. And a York County High School senior is making history on and off the golf course, Grace. Yeah, he's the county's first African-American man to earn a full-ride college athletic scholarship for golf. South Carolina Bureau Chief Shakira Speaks share his, shares his journey. There's something about that sound. If you swish a uh, shot playing basketball and it's like, man, that was perfect. It keeps Jordan Williams coming back to the greens. It's honestly just a different outlet to... So I guess the angle like success or going to college. Now a senior at Legion Collegiate Academy, he credits his grandmother for signing him up for first tee golf lessons when he was in the seventh grade. I didn't have any golf clubs, any golf clothes. They gave me a polo, first tee green polo that was like I cannot fit anymore, obviously. And uh, they gave me a pair of golf shoes and some hand-me-down clubs and I went out there and played and I just fell in love with the game. He gets most of his practice time in at Dr. Charles L. Sifford Golf Course, named after the first professional African-American to play on the PGA Tour, a golf course that originally didn't allow black people to play there. William says it was older, retired black men who taught him the game. So now me getting this opportunity to come out here and practice whenever I want, now I'm going to college to play golf, it's a blessing, honestly. This year, Williams received the opportunity of a lifetime. While competing in Steph Curry's golf tour, he was noticed by a Southern University golf coach, a historically black college in Louisiana. He talked to me for about 10 or 15 minutes and he was like, if you need it, we're gonna give you a full ride. And I was like, are you serious? And I, I just broke down immediately. Making him the first African-American in York County to receive a full ride athletic scholarship in golf. He'll don the gold in Columbia blue in the fall. He says it was always his dream to get an athletic scholarship and now he's going for free. You take that load off your parents and then you get to have a degree and, and get out and get a job, whatever it is, you, whatever you want to pursue, I can do that now with debt free. Good stuff, Shaq. All right, well, from one great story to the next, oh, man. we had a record-breaking run at the NFL Combine. <laughs> this was not it, but as Mike Lissette will show you coming up, it is the effort that counts. Not want to stick, you want to stick around for that. There hasn't been a lot of buzz around the Hornets this season, though, but a move made by the team a few days ago definitely makes the future feel a little bit brighter. we got more CSL in this two 
Back to CSL, the NFL Combine is all about making good impressions on teams, and I can't think of a better impression than breaking the record for the 40-yard dash. That's what Xavier Worthy did this Saturday in Indy. On his second attempt, the Texas product showed off blazing speed with an official time of 4.21 seconds. That surpasses John Ross's time of 4.22 seconds from the 2017 Combine. So after that, Worthy skyrocket uh, stock is definitely about to skyrocket after that for sure. So that was fast, Grace. But now it's time to show you the opposite of fast. If you know Mike Lissette like we know Mike Lissette, then you know he is not afraid to test his skills on camera, which you got to give him credit yeah. for. But at the NFL Combine this past week, Mike put on quite a show. So let's just roll the tape. Okay, I'll admit it. I had ulterior motives at the NFL Combine this week. Look, people respect my riding ability. My running ability, however, is a different story. This was my chance for redemption. You probably have to go like sub 4-3, so if you got that in you. But as Carolina's new head coach Dave Canales would learn, history tells us I don't. Avid viewers of Charlotte Sports Live may remember me struggling with the 40 and Spartanburg a couple years ago, but I've been working out, I'm ready to go, and today, here in Indianapolis, I'm going to impress. Granted, there were a lot of doubters. Most thought I wouldn't break my incredible speed of 6.1 seconds. Others were more certain of my impending doom. The most injury reports we generally have is at the 40-yard dash. Clearly, I was flirting with danger. But now that I was at the NFL Combine experience just outside Lucas Oil Stadium, there was no way I was backing down. Derrick Henry's going to be on the screen, and technically I'm going to race Derrick Henry. That's right. You'll see a digital rendition of the athletes set up, and they'll count you down, three, two, one, go, and you can run against them and compare your speed with them. Challenge accepted. Derrick Henry, it's time to meet your match. 4.54 was his number to beat. I did not come close. 5.85, that's not good at all. Some would argue I may have jumped the starting gun a little. However, I would like to point out the extra layer of clothes I was wearing. Maybe if you were running downwind, a couple of the, uh, the scouts might have been really impressed with that time. How about we just split the difference here? I beat my time while not pulling a hamstring in the process. Folks, today was definitely a win. Oh, Mike Lissette, too bad we didn't get to see the broad jump. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, weeks after the Hornets announced Mitch Kupchak would be stepping down from his role in charge, the team quickly found his replacement. And he is Jeff Patter Peterson, excuse me. And it appears he is heading to Charlotte, as we can confirm the two sides are closing in on a new deal to make him the team's head man of basketball operations. The team has not made an official announcement of it yet, but Peterson is fresh off of a six-year stint as the assistant GM in Brooklyn during his time with the squad. He was reportedly instrumental in getting Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. At 35, he is set to become the youngest executive in the league. All right, well, everyone's favorite pre-race show returns next weekend for Phoenix. Around the track makes its triumphant return. We'll go big with the breakout star of the 2024 season, driver of the 38 Ford Dark Horse Mustang, Todd Gilliland. Around the track next Sunday at 11.30 a.m. And Gabe is standing by with someone who has already proven that he can win in the desert. Well, joining us now is Daniel Hemrick, driver of the number 31 for College Racing. Daniel, making a return to the Cup Series full-time. What's that transition been like coming back to Cup, and how's the start of the season been for you? Yeah, thanks for having me on. I'll tell you, it's been a, a journey for sure. Five years exactly removed from the Cup Series since 2019. And super thankful to have found the home here at College Racing, back at the Cup level in the 31 full-time. And, 
Yeah, it's been uh, it's been an interesting start of the season, but man, these cup seasons are a grind. And then you mentioned obviously having that sim before winning the Rookie of the Year in 2019. What were some of the lessons that you feel like you learned from that first stint that you can bring into your career now as you look to move forward? Yeah, so much. My gosh, um, you know, you work your whole life trying to get to the top level, of whatever it is you're trying to achieve, and and to get there to then be knocked back down um, in the middle of that process, like you said, win Rookie of the Year and. This kind of taught me that, you know, no matter what, you continue to show up, wake up every day, put the work in, and and uh, you'll be re rewarded down the road and you just cannot not show up. Um, and I feel like that was a testament to us winning the rookie of the year that year in 2019 and, and no different than a testament of getting back here to the cup level. Um, I didn't know if it, ever, it was ever going to work out again or not, but, man, I'm super thankful that I continue to grind it out and have people believe in me like Matt Colley and Chris Rice have here at Colleague Racing. and. Yeah, it's good to take everything I learned, you know, from those tougher times in my life as a race car driver to now get back here and be able to apply the lessons I learned. You mentioned the people up top at college. Who else did you lean on during that time? Because obviously, you know, when you reach the top and you obviously as a younger driver and you kind of get brought back down to earth a little bit, it can take a toll on you. But who did you lean on during that time to get back to where you are now? Oh, gosh, that's <laughs> we got enough time to get through it all. But <laughs> man, I tell you, you know, I've had some incredible support, incredible support system in general. Uh, but first and foremost has been my family, right? My wife, Kinsey, um, she's a racer. That's how we met was racing and she gets it through and through. And at the end of the day, uh, I think it taught us that, you know, this thing we love in racing is great, man. It's, it's, it's all we know, but at the end of the day, it's not that deep driving race cars for a living. We have two beautiful kids here at home and, um, yeah, just thankful to now be able to continue to do what I love, but know that sons are coming tomorrow one way or another. So. Yeah, just enjoy the enjoy the ride, enjoy the journey, and not take any bit of it for granted. And yeah, having her lean on uh, within our family has been key for sure. And colleague is still one of the newer teams in the Cup Series. How do you feel things have grown for you guys over the years since starting in 2016? That's a great question. My gosh, it's uh, it's grown substantially. I remember you know not even driving for colleague racing, but seeing the company build from their first day within our sport um, to see it evolve into a, a race winning. You know, Xfinity and Cup team um, has been incredible, man. It really doesn't happen this fast, uh, but it's just a testament to our owner, Matt Colleague, and our leadership within Chris Rice and all the men and women there, Colleague Racing. Um, you know, the, the, they buy in. Do you feel there may be any advantages or disadvantages of being with a newer team in Cup Series? Yeah, I, mean, I think, you know, one of the advantages is just, you know, we're, we're still fairly small in, in the amount of, uh, of headcount or the size of our ship, if you will. Uh, and I, I kind of use that metaphor solely because of the fact that, you know, we can turn ours a little quicker, right? We, we can, our ship's not as quite as big. So we can turn it a little quicker if we need to pivot around our race car and our personnel and, and what we need to do to be better. Uh, some of these bigger organizations, four or 500 people that have so many processes set in place, it's a little harder to, to change paths, if you will. We got to go back to Atlanta. A very thrilling race there. Of course, I know you finished 18th, but still an incredible finish between Ryan Blaney, Kyle Busch, and Daniel Suarez. Just your thoughts on that finish and what a race like that can do for the sport because a lot of people are calling that one of the greatest races in recent memory. Yeah, and the people calling that, that they've got it right. It's for sure one of the greatest that I've ever been able to see, let alone be a part of. Um, obviously, we got damaged there at Atlanta early in the race, and like a lot of the people in the field, we were constantly working um our circle chevrolet we never quite got it back where it needed to be to actually compete with those guys in the race but man i got to see and, and have a have a front row view of what was happening what was going down up there and the race itself in atlanta was absolute chaos and to see three of our biggest names in our sport kind of go at it like that and go at it in a manner which uh, represent our sport in a great way 
Uh, I think it was just a wake-up call that, that NASCAR is healthy, is thriving, is growing. And soon after that, heading back to Phoenix, the side of your very first NASCAR win where you won the 2021 Xfinity Championship. How special is it going to be going back there the week after? Yeah, I'm super excited to get back to Phoenix. Obviously, that place has a special place in my heart. Um, but Phoenix, just in general, right, from a market standpoint, I feel like, you know, how we race within the spring outing uh, as a series, as a cup level, you know, I think it really sets a tone for our championship event when we come back in the fall. And, yeah, I mean, just competing on Sundays at the cup level is, you know, the, one of the biggest dreams that you can ever think of as a kid. And to be able to go there um, and know we have a shot, you know, that, that's fun, man. I'm super thankful for that. Um, and Phoenix is a racetrack, like I said, that that always be special to me. And, and it, it brings a lot out of guys as, as as racers, what we need our race cars to do to have success. And, yeah, hopefully we go there and do everything we can to give ourselves another good opportunity to have a solid day. Daniel Hamrick, driver of the 31, back in the Cup Series and looking to have a strong 2024 season. Daniel, appreciate your time. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Always good to chop it up with Mr. Hamrick. We're talking more about the Panthers coming up next. One draft analyst tells us why picking 33rd overall is a great spot for Carolina to be in in April's draft. Plus, flag football is one of the fastest-growing sports in the country and will soon take an even bigger step on an international level. We'll have those details Back on CSL, the NFLPA released its team grades this week, and the Panthers got some mixed marks. Let's start with the good. They got an A for strength coaches and an A minus for training staff and head coach. Despite being fired after just 11 games, it seems like players thought Frank Reich was a relatable guy. Now let's get to the bad. The players gave ownership that stated Tepper a D, which is the 28th worst in the NFL. And speaking of the worst, the Panthers wide receiver room was one of the worst in the NFL last season. Adam Thielen, really the only guy that we could count on week to week here in Carolina. Yeah, so as you can imagine, getting a number one at the wide receiver position should be a top focus for Carolina in this year's draft. Carla Gebhardt discussed who they might target with a guy you've seen before here on CSL. That would be pro football focus draft analyst Trevor Sikama. Talking a little bit about the Carolina Panthers, and last year was a pretty exciting draft, right? First overall pick. This yeah. year, maybe not exciting, but equally as important. Where do you what do you think about the Carolina Panthers right now? No, it's it, it. They obviously have a lot of things that they need to fix from the roster that they saw last year. But anytime that you were taking a franchise quarterback number one overall, you know that's going to be the case. It's not. I know that there are some situations where it works out really, really well. I know some Carolina fans look at what happened in Houston and, and think that that should be the standard, but it's normally not. It's normally a multi year thing. So I think it was always in the plan that, hey, you've got to nail these next couple of drafts here. And so for Carolina, you know, I think that really playmakers, the big thing, that's what I look at. Their first pick comes in the beginning of the second round. And I think one of those playmakers that we're seeing here in Indianapolis, and we'll get uh, a little bit more clarity on kind of who's the best athlete, you know, who is that best playmaker in the class. But I really do think despite not having a first round pick, they will be able to get an impact player who can really help out Bryce Young in the passing game this year. Do you think they stick with the 33rd pick, do you think it would be wise to trade back in any scenario? I mean, I think that it all depends on what those offers are going to be, and that's something that you go through a lot of those exercises in the pre-draft processes, and you say, okay, if we are offered this type of package, do we feel comfortable with this? But I think more important than that, yeah, you would kind of want to trade back because you like to get more guys in there. You're still kind of turning over a lot of the roster, especially with you know a, a new coaching staff again coming in there. But you do need that impact player. And I think there are going to be a handful of, like I said, pass catchers specifically, these wide receivers, where if you hone in on a guy that you think is going to be great for Bryce, 
you got to say, okay, if this guy's here at 33, we're not moving. We got to take him. And so it's just all kind of depending on what that value is for a trade back, if it's worth it for you. But I have a feeling it's not going to be. I think that they are going to pick at 33, and I think they're going to get one of those guys that falls to them. So the bigger question is what prospects are going to be there by the time that they're right. allowed to pick? Because yes. there's a lot of good talent with wide receivers. Last year that really wasn't the case, but this year it's a different story. This year it is a different story. It's a lot deeper of a group this year. I think that you can look at wide receivers like Akeon Coleman from Florida State, who I think is going to put on a show here. Um, people are going to look at his athletic testing numbers and be like, okay, this guy should go top 15. But you know, there's some things in his tape that are a little bit concerning but I still think he can be that wide receiver one. He does have that ceiling. If he gets down to 33, I think he's on the board. A.D. Mitchell from Texas, Xavier Worthy from Texas, both of those guys are a little bit different. I think A.D. Mitchell reminds me a lot of what T. Higgins has been able to do for Cincinnati. We see, we see him now commanding a lot of money in the market. Xavier Worthy, big-time athlete. I mean, he's somebody who, if you want to increase the vertical game and your passing game, he's a great piece to do it. But then I think there's also these players who have the ability to be big-time high volume receivers even as early as rookies a ricky pearsall from florida a lad mcconkey from georgia like those are two players maybe even a roman wilson from michigan these are guys who you can line up on the outside in the slot and they're players who if you need to get 100 targets to one of your rookies i don't think they're going to be overwhelmed and so there's a there's a lot of different shapes and sizes of of these wide receivers where i could see a ton of them fitting for what carolina needs so it is a really good spot to be in there yeah because head coach dave canales kind of said earlier this week when you're drafting a wide receiver it's kind of hard to expect a lot from their rookie season so right. you're basically saying that there are a couple of guys that could come in and be productive that first year well i think so because you know when you look at what canales was able to do certainly i know he wasn't calling plays but his time in Seattle and then as a play caller in Tampa Bay he had a handful of really good receivers that he got to work with and see how they work and guys like DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett in Seattle you have Mike Evans Chris Godwin Trey Palmer from Tampa and so he kind of was able to figure out last year the best way to get a lot of these guys involved I think it was a great learning year from him you saw them come on strong and obviously make a playoff push there at the end of the season and I think that is some, a, a important background of where he's coming from that he has dealt with a lot of different um, types of wide receivers and been able to get them the ball in a lot of different ways so it is tough just because it's tough for any rookie to come into the NFL and say all right produce like you did in college it's a different game it's a more talented game it'll always take a little bit of time for them to get acclimated but I do believe that certainly second half of the season of the rookie year for these guys you could really start to see things click and have a much better version of the offense yeah gonna be fun to see what direction they go Trevor thanks so much of course. All right, thanks, Carla. Well, flag football, or just flag, as it is often referred to, has gotten a lot of exposure over the past couple of years. We just saw the NFL transition their pro ball game to the less physical brand of football. And just this past October, the International Olympic Committee announced that flag football will be added to the 2028 Olympic Summer Games in Los Angeles. And Friday, they held tryouts for the national team right here in Charlotte. The top 60 men and top 60 women went through athletic testing and practice sessions on the campus of UNC Charlotte. Lots of athletes with Carolina ties out there, too, including the women's national team assistant coach, Mary Kay Bula, who has just been really excited to see how far the sport has come. It's grown a lot. Like The pool is getting stronger, not just the number, the amount of players, but the, the ability that we're seeing is, is huge. We've got some basketball players that are now playing flag football. Um, the pool is just getting stronger, and that means that the sport is really catching on. All right, so out of the 120 athletes that tried out on Friday, the top 18 for each of the men's and women's team advanced to team camp that will be held later this year in June, and that too will also be held at UNC Charlotte. Gabe? 
at that moment, I just I realized all the hard work I put in, all the late hours, all the weight cuts, all the injuries. I mean, they just they paid off, and it feels good to know everything paid off. Coming up, how one young man overcame being undersized to become one of the best high school wrestlers North Carolina has ever seen. We introduce you to Cameron Simpson Jr. coming up next on CSL. And conference expansion means the ACC's future basketball schedule is going to look quite a bit different. We'll show you which Carolina teams are headed to the West Coast next. Well, next season is going to look a little bit different in the ACC thanks to the additions of new members Cal, SMU, and Stanford. The league has announced conference matchups for the 2024-25 men's basketball season. So here they are. Duke's home and away matchups will be against North Carolina, Wake Forest, and Miami. And then they'll host Cal and Stanford, but travel to Dallas to face SMU. North Carolina home and aways with Duke, NC State, and Pitt. They will also host the three new schools inside the Dean Dome. NC State has home and aways with North Carolina, Wake, and Cal. Wake Forest gets Duke, NC State, and Stanford. And Clemson's trio is Florida State, Georgia Tech, and Virginia Tech. And we know Charlotte's Charlotte football's entire 2024 schedule. The 49ers American Athletic Conference opponents were announced this past week. Following its four non-conference contests, including a, two, a week two road test against UNC, Charlotte's first league game will come on the road at Rice September 28th. Their first AAC home game of the season comes October 5th against in-state rival East Carolina. It's going to be another tough challenge for head coach Biff Poggi. Six opponents on the 49ers schedule went to bowl games last season. Gabe? Well, we've all heard the old saying, it's not about the size of the dog in the fight, but it's about the size of the fight in the dog. Well, as the new saying goes, Cameron Simpson Jr. simply has that dog in him. Here's a story of how a young man from right here in Charlotte overcame being undersized to become one of the best high school wrestlers this state has ever seen. My first sport that I really wanted to do was football. And I was like, oh, no, that's where I could take it off a little too slow. Cameron Stinson Sr. son, Cameron Jr., eventually found a new passion that led to him making a home on the mat. My first three years, I think I only won like one or two out of like probably like 100, like 90, 100 matches. So like it kind of, I don't know how I stuck with it all the way through, but I did. The struggles early on would pave the way for success for Cameron Stinson Jr. with his father and assistant coach at Mallard Creek and former South Mac wrestler helping lead the way. He told me to stay with it because I mean, who knows what the sport will bring to me. I mean, it's not just for the winning, but to help me become a better person. I mean, so I stayed with it. And then as time came, I got better with the sport. As Cameron improved at his craft, the pressure on him would increase over time. However, the fear of failure was something that motivated him. When you have that fear going into a match, it kind of keeps you level-headed and like keeps you in check just so you know, okay, I know something bad can happen at any time. Let me wrestle to the best of my ability and know, hey, let me be cautious of this and that. And I feel like that's just how people wrestle their best. That approach helped Cameron become one of the best wrestlers in state history. From the time he started his career as a Maverick, the wins started piling up. 205 to be exact. His record unblemished and legacy cemented as he is the first wrestler in North Carolina history to win over 200 matches in four consecutive state titles. It's success not even his biggest supporters could have seen coming. If you would have asked me Cam's eighth grade year that he was going to be a full-time undefeated state champ, I would have looked at you and laughed. It's unreal. It's crazy to watch and realize that I'm related to him. Like, it's just a crazy feeling. It's amazing. And one could say the best is still yet to come for the young phenom. 
Stinson will head to Chapel Hill and rock the Carolina Blue for one of the top programs in the country. When looking back over his journey up to this point, he's proud to have set an example and left a legacy that will be remembered for quite some time. I was never good at the sport to see, so to see how far I've came and the legacy and history I've put on the sport and knowing others can do it too and that they look up to me and they want to do it just like me, I mean, it means the world. Pretty easy to root for that young man, certainly wishing him the best moving forward at UNC. Well, quite a bit of history made across basketball this last weekend. Last night, LeBron James becomes the first player in NBA history to reach 40,000 career points. And today, Iowa State Clark reached a historic milestone as well. We're going to share that coming up next. Close out CSU. Crowns and tonight I'm paying tribute to one of the all-time greats in our industry. The legendary Chris Mortensen sadly passed away this morning at the age of 72. His career as a sports writer spanned over 50 years. His time at ESPN lasted from 1991 up until last April following the NFL draft. Truly a man who was beloved by those he worked with and the athletes that he covered during his historic career. Yeah, it was great to see all the, all the memories pouring yeah. in from him. All right, well, my crown tonight going to Miss Caitlin Clark because today she passed LSU's Pete Maravich for the NCAA scoring record. Clark was just 18 points shy of the record heading into Iowa's Sunday matchup against Ohio State. She had all those 18 in the first half, and she scored them there on the technical foul. She finished the game with 35 points. So she now holds the record with 3,685 career points. Because we're the best of them, one of the best we have ever seen for sure. For Grace Grail, I'm Gabe McDonald. We'll do it again tomorrow night. Good night, guys.